As I pray for our time together, would you please join me in prayer? Our Father, we thank you for these moments. We set these moments aside week after week, not primarily um, for the purpose of entertainment or even education. This is for transformation. This is an opportunity for us to encounter you together, to be the sorts of people that engage with our minds and our hearts, laboring together to understand your word, and in understanding your word, to understand your heart and your character, would you reveal yourself today to us? And in this revelation, would you help us to be men and women that lay hold of our birthright in Jesus, that because we are blood-bought saints of God by virtue of what Jesus has done, we can live in perpetual joy. We can experience the Holy Spirit's fruit being produced in our lives. I pray, God, that we as your children would not settle for less. Stir us up. Empower us. Help us to take steps into our joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've shared with uh, some of you that I have been on a journey. Our staff has been on a journey since really the end of last year kind of coming back to with some regularity and meditating on the beauty and the power of joy. The recognition that as Christians, we have a a birthright, an opportunity, a divine gift that is perpetual joy. It is an actual opportunity for every Christian to live in joy daily. In the New Testament, we are, actually, we are, we are commended regularly. We are, we are told with some regularity that we ought to rejoice always, to be joyful in all circumstances. And quite frankly, the, the New Testament is commanding these things to us like we could actually obey them. And I think, if I'm honest, uh, in a lot of my life, I've, I've lived it like, ah, it's, it's maybe possible for somebody Or maybe it's possible sometimes, but really what we have been growing in conviction around is that no, 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 in Jesus, it is actually an opportunity that we could experience pervasive and ongoing perpetual joy as Christians. Not slappy, happy, fake, you know, everything's okay, but what we're talking about is a durable, non-circumstantial sense of well-being. A profound sense of well-being. That's, what, that's how Dallas Willard defines joy. And what, what he means is something that is not circumstantial, that is durable, and that is a soul-level happiness that causes us to say, no matter what is happening circumstantially, I am so okay. You, if you are in Jesus today, no matter what is going on in your life, you are profoundly okay a profound sense of well-being. And what we want to experience together in increasing ways over the next three weeks, uh, we just wanted to mark out a few weeks at the start of summer, kind of as our gift to you at summertime, is let's open up the hood of the New Testament and say, well, what's the operating system 
for this kind of joy. If we're commanded to it, and it's in expectation that a Christian can live in joy daily, let's explore, well, how is that actually possible according to these scriptures? How might we be those sorts of people? And so that's the journey that we're going on. And it it seems appropriate that on Pentecost Sunday, which is today, this is the day where in congregations all across the globe, people are celebrating the fact that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on people. It's Pentecost Sunday. It's the Sunday where we remember that the Holy Spirit is ours in God. And so it seems appropriate that we're going to go to Galatians 5, and as we start to expand and explore this this definition and experience of perpetual joy, what we're going to experience today is this. Joy is profoundly available as we crucify the flesh and learn to walk in the Spirit. That joy is not something that is mustered by human strength or by your flesh. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit that he will work out in you as you learn to put the flesh to death and to walk by his power. And so we're going to celebrate the Holy Spirit's presence and power by laying hold of our birthright in joy today. Are you with me? I want for you overwhelming, unstoppable joy. And the good news is that it's available today in Christ. So let's see if we can explore a little bit of that together. Miraculous joy is available as we crucify the flesh and walk by the Spirit. Let's start by talking about what do we mean, or more pointedly, what does the Apostle Paul mean in Galatians 5 about the crucifixion of the flesh? What do we mean by that? I want to go back and, and read a couple of verses that help set the context for, for this, ch- this portion that we just read. We're at the tail end of Galatians 5. Paul has been laboring to help these people understand what it means that they are free in Christ. They are not under the law as they were previously, but in Jesus they are radically free. And as he comes to this portion of chapter 5, he's saying that in that freedom, you now have the capacity to walk in the Holy Spirit and experience what he has for you. The context of this walking in the spirits is conflict. There's tension baked into the text that we read. So look back with me at verses 16 and 17 and verse 24. And I've got a few words highlighted on the screen. I just want you to see the conflict in this text. It says this. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. Do you see it there? Against, against, opposed, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Skipping down to verse 24, he says it this way, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. These words against, opposed, crucify. This is intense language of conflict, of struggle. The flesh and the spirit in each Christian's life are directly opposed to one another and they are, they are fighting one another. Now, I'm, I'm not a huge UFC fan, but I've, I've seen my fair share. I don't know if you're familiar, Ultimate Fighting Championship, right? This is become a global phenomenon. UFC 275 is next weekend live from Singapore. Maybe you've already got that on your calendar. Um, there's been 275 of these global title fights in UFC. And, and the, if you're not familiar, it's, 
a ring that is octagon-shaped, eight-sided ring that basically two competitors that have been training and, and preparing, they get locked into this ring and they fight until one of them taps out and says, I don't have any more. Pretty brutal. What I'd like you to consider is this, that inside the heart of every Christian is an octagon. There's a UFC ring in the heart of every Christian. That when you say yes to Jesus, however many years you had been living in the world and learning how to respond and react to the world around you through what you learned in your family and through your own sin patterns in your flesh, you developed a, a strong muscle memory that all of a sudden an alien force that is holy and pure and beautiful and powerful, known as the Holy Spirit, is poured into the heart of a Christian when they say yes to Jesus. And all of a sudden the octagon is locked and the flesh and the spirit begin to battle. This is your story. You can read about it in a place like Romans 7 where it feels like Paul is being pulled and twisted as he goes, I want to do things that I don't do and I don't want to do things that I keep doing because the flesh and the spirit are waging war and the heart and the soul of a Christian. This is the nature of what it means for you to be a Christian beginning to foster a filling of the Holy Spirit in your heart is that there is tension, there is opposition. And, and quite frankly, what we need to do is fix the fight. That's what Paul is talking about in this early stage. I just want you to consider UFC 275 live from, from, from Singapore next weekend. I want you to imagine for a moment that you have had the opportunity for months leading up to this fight to set the, the diet and workout plan for both of the fighters that are on the top billing. You get to determine what they eat and when they eat. You get to determine when they work out and how much they work out leading up to the fight. So if you had that sort of control over what was going on in the preparation, would you have some confidence to place a bet in Vegas? I think you probably would. Because what you would say is, well, one guy, I can say, you get uh, a couple of donuts and a chocolate milk once a day, and then you just got to lay on the couch. You can't move, you can't work out. And to the other guy, he gets to eat a well-tuned diet, doing his two-a-day workouts, fierce and cut up, ready to go. If I get to design the workout and diet for both fighters, I can tell you in advance what's going to happen when they get locked into the octagon. This text is talking about the flesh and the spirit in that way. It's saying that it is the call of the Christian to put the flesh to death. You wake up each morning and you get to design the diet and the workout for both the flesh and the spirit that is fighting and warring in your soul. I remember sitting with a senior saint years ago, a guy that I had tremendous respect for, and I was sharing with him my concerns. I was, I was sharing, confessing sin and brokenness. I was talking about my pride and my selfishness and the way that I know it consistently trips me up in my marriage and in my ministry. And it was like, ah, I just, I don't want to be so about myself. And what do I do? And what have you done over the years? Thinking that he was going to have some like secret you know, Jedi wisdom that I've never heard from. I, I don't know if you feel this way, but sometimes I just want someone ahead of, the, ahead of me in the Lord to have some silver bullet that I've never heard of, you know. And he didn't really do that for me. He said something very simple that at the moment was kind of disappointing, but has proven to be very powerful. He just sat and nodded. He said, well, Jeremiah, that battle with that sin is like your battle with every other sin. You wake up each morning and put it to death. And I was like, and? 
You know, like give me the, give me like the secret sauce, you know? And he's like, no, you get to wake up each day and you put your flesh to death. You get to say, not today. Pride doesn't tell my story today. Lust is not going to tell my story today. Greed is not, that's not who I am. Like I'm locked into this battle and my flesh is raging back saying, make this decision, respond in this way. And the truth is that in Christ, we get to go, not today. I'm going I'm to put my flesh on its back. I'm going to design its diet and its workout. I'm going to starve it out because it doesn't get to tell my story. The journey in beginning to understand what it means to engage in this fight is to, is to lay down, to crucify the flesh. You see that the acts of the flesh that we read about in this text in verses 19 through 21 in many ways are the work of, of our mind, of our flesh, trying to lay hold of the gifts that only the Spirit can give. And it never quite works. Let me, let me explain. Just look real quickly at this list in verse 19 through 21. It says the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. The first three are all profoundly sexual in nature. No doubt people that by their flesh are trying to lay hold of their joy, their satisfaction, their love. Things that the, the Spirit will produce in us as fruit. But in the works of the flesh, we try to grab hold of in our own way. And it never quite pans out in the way that God has designed. And it's not just sexual, it's also our worship. He says in idolatry and sorcery, those are comments about worship. And then interestingly, the longest list in the works of the flesh have to do with relational strife or division. There's eight things listed. It says enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. And then lastly, he names two sins of excess, drunkenness and orgies and things like these. He says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The first step, as it were, is as we're beginning to open ourselves up to the miraculous gift of joy, what we have to realize is that there's a whole host of joy stealers that your flesh wants to lay hold of. This is why we're in a battle. We think that stepping out in our lust or our greed or our selfishness is going to deliver some wonderful gift. And then we get to the other end and we go, why is it just envy and dissension and impurity and sensuality? And it's not fulfilling in any way. The reality is that if we're going to lay hold of the gifts that God has for us, we have to put our flesh on the back. We have to put our flesh on its back, starve it out and say, I am not going down this road anymore. We have to crucify the flesh, which raises a good and honest question. If you're paying attention at this point, you're going, that sounds great, but how do I really do that? Like some of you are saying, I've been a Christian for a long time, and I still feel like my flesh tells my story, if I'm honest. Or perhaps you're not yet a Christian and you go, I don't even begin to understand. What, what's the alternative? What could this be? And I think what this text reveals is this, that as, as the flesh and the spirit are warring in us, we lay the flesh down in part by learning to walk by the spirit. You see, we crucify the flesh as we learn to walk by the spirit. Let me show it to you in this text. In verse 16, 18, and 25, beginning, middle, and end, there's a little thread that runs through that shows our activity in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Four different verbs about what we are doing in conjunction with the spirit. Let me read it to you and let's see if we can make sense of this together. 
On the front end, he says, but I say this, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Uh, This idea of gratifying the desires of the flesh means that the desires of the flesh will not come to completion. They will not be fulfilled. And so when, when I begin to walk by the Spirit, the flesh is dying on the vine. They're not, those desires are not fulfilled. We'll talk about what it means to walk by the Spirit. Verse 18, he says this, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So he moves from walking by the Spirit to being led by the Spirit. And then the conclusion of the text in verse 25, it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Four different verbs in conjunction with the Spirit. And I think in many ways, what we have on this Pentecost Sunday and these four verbs is a picture of what it looks like to live deeper and deeper into the life that the Holy Spirit has for us. And so I just want to sketch these four things out briefly for us because this is the journey that leads to us beginning to experience the joy that God has for us. It's a journey with the Holy Spirit first and most. First, we walk by the Spirit. I love that this language of walking is so consistent in the New Testament because it's so simple. It's not run, it's not leap, it's not fly, it's not like do something that you can't quite do, that consistently what God calls us to is just walk, walk by the Spirit. In Ephesians 2, it says he's prepared good, good works in advance for you to walk into. We just walk into the good, the good things that he's prepared for us. We're invited here to walk by the Spirit, to take the next right step. <clears throat> this in our journey with the Holy Spirit in many ways is that, that first step of just beginning to think of the Holy Spirit not as an it, not as a force, not as some distant reality, but as a he, a person with a personality and with desires that is available to you and willing to walk with you through life. Did you know that's who the Holy Spirit is? He is the, the Spirit of Christ The the Spirit of God Himself, the Holy Spirit, is willing to walk with you through life in such a way that you could begin to be in conversational relationship with Him. To start saying, hey, would you go with me? Would you be a part of what I'm doing? That we begin to walk by the Spirit as we ask for His help and His presence, as we start a conversation with Him. What He will begin to do is He'll comfort you. He will convict you of sin. These are the initial stages by which the Holy Spirit begins to shape us. As we say, come and be with me, he comforts, he convicts, and he reshapes. But then the next verb, did you hear it? He says, and those who are led by the Spirit are no longer under the law. Those who are walking with the Spirit now begin to understand what it is to be led by the Spirit. This is a word that is used in different ways throughout the New Testament. One of the consistent ways it is used is of a beast of burden being led by like the reins or the rope around their neck. When they lead the donkey out to Jesus in the Gospels that Jesus climbs on and rides in on the triumphal entry, it is this verb. They're leading the donkey in that way. So to be led by the Spirit is this idea of to lay down one's will and to be led by one from the outside. That as I've begun to walk with the Spirit, and this is true, if you've gone on a journey with the Holy Spirit, what you'll begin to realize is as you relationally connect with Him and you begin to experience His power and His wisdom and his availability to you, what you will start saying is, well, I don't want you just to walk with me. Like, take the reins of my life. Direct my steps. 
I don't want to keep making decisions about where my feet are going to go and what I'm going to do. So this isn't just talking to the Holy Spirit relationally. This is beginning to consistently listen for his voice. This is giving him permission. Now, here, I'll, I'll issue this challenge. For those who are courageous, for those who really want to experience the life that God has for them, here's a prayer I'd invite you to pray regularly. Holy Spirit, you have permission to direct my body and my thoughts and my words. That takes, I don't know, maybe that took seven seconds to pray. Imagine praying that prayer, walking into meetings, walking into your house at the end of the day, moving from your car into the next thing, just saying, Holy Spirit, right now, I'm giving you full access. You get to direct my body, my thoughts, my words. You can, you can lead me. What is stunning is that he's willing and he will. <laughs> oh, I think part of the reason we have a joyless Christian existence is because we just don't believe what the Bible has told us to be true. He's willing to meet you like that. He's willing to begin to fill you up and to direct your steps. It reminds me of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. You remember this story? I was telling this story to Judah at bedtime the other night. There's something good for the soul of trying to retell stories to a four-year-old. Because I was telling him, I was like, so there's this guy and God told him to run out to the desert. And so he did. He was just convinced that God was supposed to have him in the desert. And Judah was like, well, why was that? And I was like, I don't know. He didn't know. He didn't know. He just did it because God told him. So he was standing out at the crossroads. And the text doesn't tell us how long he stood out at the crossroads in the desert. I like to think maybe it was a while. Like he's just standing out there sweating in the sun at the crossroads out in the desert going, all right, God, you told me to be here. And then it says, the Holy Spirit comes and says in his ear, there's a, there's a chariot far off over there. Run over there. He's like, all right. And he goes running off and he comes up next to the chariot. And as he comes up next to the chariot, there's a man reading the scroll of Isaiah aloud about the coming of the Messiah. And so Philip goes, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy goes, no, how could I unless someone explained it to me? And Philip's like, ah, <laughs> I, think I, I think I found myself to the right spot, you know? He climbs up into the chariot. He shares the gospel with this Ethiopian eunuch who actually works for Candace, who is the queen of the, the Nubian, um, kind of the, it's, uh, the, the Nubian kingdom at this point. And the gospel goes back to Africa because Philip said, Holy Spirit, lead me. He had no strategy for taking the gospel to Africa. He didn't wake up that morning going, I'm going to do something great for God. He said, take the reins. I'm like a donkey and I'll go where you go. If you want to experience the joy of God, we don't just walk with the Spirit. We go, hey, take the reins. Take my body. Use my words. And the beauty is that once we walk with him and then we start being led by him, what the text says is you will live by him. By verse 25, it says, if we live by the Spirit. The other time that they, this gets used, this phrase, live by the Spirit, is in Romans 8. It says, if you live by the Spirit, you will set your mind on the things of the Spirit. This is the idea of going further upstream. I'm not just walking and having a conversation with you. I'm not even just saying, have the reins of my life. What I'm saying is, I want to start to meditate on your thoughts to memorize scripture and to meditate on it in such a way. I'm setting my mind on the things of the Spirit. What we believe 
is that the Holy Spirit has inspired the scriptures down to the words and the letters. That's what Jesus thought about the Bible, so that's what I think about the Bible. And what that means is that if you can start to memorize a text and just work it out in your mind, where it starts to make sense, you're like, oh, okay, this verse, of course it leads to this verse, because that's the logic. It's developing. All of a sudden, what you're experiencing is the logic of the Holy Spirit himself. He's not just walking beside you. He's not just leading you. He's filling you. He's empowering you. In the book of Acts, it says that the people were filled in Acts 2, and then the same group was filled in Acts 4. And some of those same people were filled again in Acts 10 because the filling of the Spirit doesn't happen once. It's perpetual. You're going, fill me up. God, fill me up. And he will. Oh, I'm just so sad for friends that have come to trust in Jesus but are not walking by the Spirit. It's like Jesus is going, here's all these riches and all this beauty. It's all yours. He's going, will you just take a step into it? Will you walk with me? Will you let me lead you? Will you live by me? And then there's this interesting final verb that comes in the end of verse 25. Some texts uh, translate it walk by the Spirit, the same way that it was translated at the beginning, but it's a different verb. In our text, the way that it gets translated is let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That's better. It's actually, it's, it's a word like marching. It's like going to the, the Aggie football game at Kyle Field and watching the Corps of Cadets. This is for you, Justin. Um, you see the Corps of Cadets come walking in, you know, and all, my boys love to go sit right on the curb and watch them all come by, and it's lift, 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 right, lift. That's this verb. It's like once, once you... Once you walk with him, and you're led by him, and you're living by his power, thinking his thoughts after him, all of a sudden, now I'm not just out on a stroll with you. Every step is purposeful. You're the, the animating reality of my life. Like I step into places and I speak words. It's the way that 1 Peter 4 talks about it. It says if anyone, if anyone serves, let him serve with the, the power of God. And if anyone speaks, let him speak as if it's the very words of God so that in all things God would be praised. The idea is that when you start living in the spirit in this way and you're keeping in step with him, it's not just that he comforts and convicts. It's not just that he speaks and directs. It's not just that he empowers and fills. Now this is what will happen you will be speaking to people and they will be healed and comforted and blessed and refreshed and renewed. They will go, I feel loved by God because I was with you. And you know your own heart and life and your own proclivities and you're going, no, no, no. I haven't done anything but the beauty and the joy of the experience is this. God is working through me. If you want to experience joy, it starts with the crucifixion of the flesh and living by the Spirit. And when you're living by the Spirit, when, you, when you're so in lockstep with Him, now all of a sudden, He's using you in power to reorder eternity in the hearts and the lives of other people. Ah, you are destined for a life of significance, authority, power. Jesus died not just to get you out of hell, He did that. Praise God, he did that. But he also died to get 
his very presence and power into you to allow you to participate in his kingdom today. This is the good gift that he's pouring out on his people. You see, miraculous joy grows here. And the place where your flesh has been put to death and you're beginning to walk by the Spirit. We see it in verse 22 and 23 where this fruit is naturally produced now. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Now, interestingly, it says fruit. Now, it was the works of the flesh. The flesh is us working striving and it's a plural it's a plural term there's the works but the fruit is singular it's being worked out by the spirit it says the fruit of the spirit is love and joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such things there is no law doesn't that sound delightful Can you imagine a life that is just marked by those words? Sounds delightful. And it's yours in Jesus. It is the fruit that the Holy Spirit is eager and willing to work out in your life. Three notes about it being a fruit of the Spirit. One, it's gradual. Fruit grows slowly. You don't walk out, Ashley's got this beautiful garden in her backyard. There's oftentimes something fresh on my table that she has grown from the soil. But when she puts that seed in the ground, I don't wake up the next day and go out and go, oh, there it is. It takes time, and if you sit and stare at it, you don't see anything happening. It is gradual. And so, friends, if, if you're a little bit discouraged, feeling, well, that's not me. That's okay. It's a journey with the Lord of putting the flesh to death daily, waking up and going, you don't tell my story today, and I'm going to learn how to take the next step with the Spirit. It's gradual. It's inevitable. Once the fruit is put in the soil, rest assured, it's coming. It's inevitable because this is what the Holy Spirit does. The story is told of a man who is, who is buried under a thick slab of marble, and as he was buried, an acorn fell in, in with him into the grave. Now, you would, if you're placing bets, you would probably place money on the thick slab of marble over the acorn. But the truth is, the inevitability of the growth is that an acorn will, will split even a slab of marble, finding its way to grow. That when we come into new life with Jesus, something is put in and of us that he will work out. It is this inevitable reality. You see, it's gradual, it's inevitable. And thirdly, it's symmetrical. It grows in conjunction with, you see, it's singular. All of the fruit grows singularly. It's like a blackberry with little beads, or it's like a, a, a cluster of grapes. That It's all of the same stuff. And even though there's, there's different components, it's all one singular whole, which means there is a counterfeit. Elation and happiness over some circumstance in life is not what we're talking about. It's a counterfeit. The real thing, joy, will grow up with love and with patience and with peace. That's, that's the work of the Spirit. Mike Mason makes the point that, that love and joy are at the top of the list because they're the most important. And that joy is always just right behind love. The idea being that if you step out with the Spirit's help to love, to posture yourself as a blessing to other people, the reason I think all the fruit of the single, single whole is because love ushers all the rest in and joy is the first one. You may think, I'm tired, I've got nothing left to give, but by the Spirit's prompting, you step out and you bless someone, you serve someone, and then all of a sudden your heart begins to be filled with joy and it comes with all the fruit of the Spirit. That's what the Spirit does in us. It's symmetrical. He's producing all of the fruit 
simultaneously and those who are submitted to him. I hope this is desirable to you. It may lead some of you, especially my non-Christian friends in the room, to go, that all sounds wonderful, but I, I still don't even know where to begin. Beautifully, the text doesn't leave us wondering about that. In verse 24, you've heard it read already, but let me read it to you again. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This journey of the crucifixion of the flesh and the living by the Spirit begins with belonging to Christ. That our flesh is actually crucified in the crucifixion of his flesh. That he was standing on our behalf, dying the death that we deserve to die. Putting to rest all of those fleshly impulses that don't create human flourishing. But they create division and dissension and envy and all of the brokenness that we experience in the flesh. Jesus has put it to death. And friend, when you come to trust in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, you belong to him. You are no longer your own. You have been purchased at a price. And what that means is that you now have the power in him to go on this same journey. You cannot do this by your own strength, but when you belong to Jesus, joy is a birthright. You can put the flesh to death by his power. You can walk in his resurrection joy, and you can experience all that God has for you. If you are not a Christian, Today is the day of salvation. For the fullness of your joy, run to Jesus and admit that you're a sinner that cannot manage your own life by your own strength. He will rescue you. He will give you joy. And to my Christian brothers and sisters in the room, there is more available than you've ever known. However far you've gone with Jesus, the beauty of worshiping an eternal God is that you have eternally more to explore. Go with him. Hand over the reins of your life to the Spirit and follow where he leads. He will lead you into the fullness of joy. Let me pray for us. So gracious God and Father, would you forgive me for my folly Though you have saved me and purchased me, I am so prone to go back to the brokenness of my flesh. I pray, God, that we would be a people that today pay attention to the places where our flesh continues to war against the work of the Spirit in us and that we would put it to death all over again, that we would repent of sin that we would confess it to a brother or a sister, drag it out into the light and say no more. I pray that we would learn to walk by the power of the Spirit and experience all that he has for us. And Holy Spirit, right now I'm asking that by your power you'd be at work in this room drawing anyone who is yet to be born again by the power of Jesus. You would draw them to see their hope and their healing in Jesus to right now welcome him into their hearts for the first time. So God, we love you and we thank you. We pray that you would take us on a joy journey that causes our hearts to explode with more of your presence. It's in your name that we pray, amen.